I want people to listen to it quickly and be like, ah, yep, got it. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlitt. This week, the science of succeeding with people. That's Deputy Digital Editor Catch Morrison. Welcome to Unregulated, City AM's professional development podcast. We chat entrepreneurial stories, how to be better at your job and taking the next steps in your career. So I'm a recovering awkward person. This week, I've taken the reins from Emma to sit down with Vanessa Van Edwards, who's written Captivate. In the first vote, he lost by over a thousand votes, but all day he campaigned one-to-one and by the end of the day, he won the vote. Which is about the science of succeeding with people and how you can win at any social interaction. He leveraged his social strengths by not faking it till he made it because he knew that he couldn't compete with the other booming personalities. All right, so you're here to talk about your book, Captivate. Yes. First of all, what would you say is the key message of Captivate? So when I was growing up, I'm a recovering awkward person. I like to joke. (laughs) Uh, Still in recovery. And I was always taught about people in one way. I was told to get along with people, you have to be super friendly, super extroverted, and super bubbly. And for non-extroverts, and I'm an ambivert, where I kind of flip between the two, that is really overwhelming advice. And so my one idea in this book is that there are different brands of charisma, that you don't have to be the bubbly extrovert, although that's great too. There are different flavors of charismatic people. So you could be the quiet, contemplative introvert. You could be uh, the powerful, credible expert. You could be the wild party animal. And all of those things are charismatic. All of those things are good people skills or high PQ. And that's my goal is to help you figure out your own unique flavor. Yeah, so you have this um, interpersonal intelligence score. Yes. Uh, I took I took the test. How'd you do? I got a score of 70. Okay. Um, so maybe you could explain what that means. Sure. When we talk about interpersonal intelligence, I think that there's a lot, it's the opposite of IQ in a certain sense. You know, we talk a lot about IQ growing up. It's, you know, in the States, it was GPA or grade point average or SAT mm-hmm. scores. I'm sure you have equivalents here. Um, a lot IQ based. And PQ or interpersonal intelligence is um, measuring your soft skills or social skills. So this is your first year ability to decode. So this is how do you interpret emotions from others? How do you read body language? So in the book, you'll notice that some of the pictures are reading micro expressions. Yeah. That would be testing your ability to decode. And then you have encoding. This is your ability to send social signals. And so this is how do you how do you come across? How do you control how you come across? How do you master your presence? What's your first impression? So the, the questions were a mix of both decoding and encoding. Do you remember which questions were harder for you or which questions you got more right or more wrong? So according to the test, one of my weakest areas is around solving the people puzzle. How can you help me out with that? Yeah. So the way when I was thinking about how to organize the book, I wanted to break it down into exactly how we build relationships. So the first five chapters, the first four chapters are the first five minutes. Then we do the first five hours and the first five days. Because I believe that most interactions, if you make it through that first impression, those first five minutes, you're good. And it seems like you rocked those ones. The second part, which is first five hours, that's the section that you're talking about, is how do you take a casual acquaintance, someone you just met, a casual friend or colleague, and then go out for drinks, go out for dinner, have those first few hours of interaction. So that is where the people puzzle fall comes into play. And this is about moving beyond just common interests and actually decoding personality. 
So there are three different levels of interaction. The first level, those first few minutes, you're just trying to see who are you? What are your demographics? What are our common interests? What are the threads of similarity? In the second area, you're trying to solve someone's personality and everyone has five different personality traits. And the last one is trying to figure out values. So that middle one is leveling up in that way. A lot of the emphasis of the book it's not even just the first five minutes that count. Yeah. It's the first two seconds. Yes. yes. <laughs> no pressure. So, yeah. So what can we do about that? Okay. That's... Yes. So whenever I whenever I share this news, and, and yes, it is true that our first impressions happen, if we're lucky two seconds, most of the time it's actually even less than that. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually think this is good news because here we are going into an interview or a negotiation or a pitch or a date and we're worrying so much about how to answer the perfect question or what to say. But actually, all you need to worry about is that one first second. That's it. That's good news, right? It's so much easier. Um, so in that first second, what we're trying to figure out with someone is a couple of things. We're trying to decide, are we friend or foe? So are you safe, right? Like, are you someone who's going to be safe? That one happens in a less than a second. It's usually just making sure that someone has uh, visible hands. They're not withholding anything, not any kind of weapon, or, or, or they're going to reach out and punch us. We're just looking for hand gestures. And then also we're trying to decide if someone's going to be our ally. So that's the more deeper part of the argument is, is this person going to be on my side? So the best thing you can do in that first second is literally physically reach out to someone. If you can't physically do it, you're on the phone or you're digitally interacting, mm -hmm. you want to try to show I am on your side. You can do this with questions verbally. You can do this with a handshake or a cheek kiss, kiss non-verbally. You can also do this by leaning in, giving affirmative nods, smiling. Those are all non-verbal signals before you even start talking of I want to be on your side. I want to be your ally. Looking back on a previous episode that we've done on the Today I Am Unregulated podcast, uh, the title was Fake It Till You Make It. Ah. So oh. you do have a message about authenticity in I the do. book. But I think it's quite different. Yes. Yes. Can you so give I, us a bit? Yeah, it's a good, good question. So I don't love the phrase fake it till you make it. And the reason for this is because I think that most people who have struggled with people like me, we've been told, you know, just be friendly or just be yourself. Just be nice and you'll make friends. And those things did not work for us. They don't work for most people. What I would rather you do is figure out how you are already aligned, what your innate personality traits are, what your innate social strengths are. And I believe everyone has their own social strengths. Figure out what those are first and then either dial them up or dial them down. For example, let's say that um, your one of your social strengths is um, getting people to open up. You find that you're often the therapist of your friends. Mm -hmm. They All of a sudden, people will just kind of tell you the deepest thing about them. That is a social strength, right? That is a specific kind of interaction. It would not work if I said, fake it till you make, make it. Go to a wild party, be the MC, and try to please everyone at once if your social strength is actually more one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. So I would rather you... Avoid the situations where you have to feel like you're faking it and try to only say yes to situations where you're setting yourself up for success. So it's a little bit of a different idea um, than the fake it till you make it, which is adopt it and it will come. Mm -hmm. It's more like figure out what you are so you don't have to adopt anything. That's something you cover in um, one of the anecdotes that you have in the book. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just talk us through that. It's a story about a young man called Harry. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> so a young man called Harry. It's not Harry Potter, um, <laughs> but he did wear glasses. And uh, growing up, he was a boy who was not liked in school. And he was made fun of mercilessly because he grew up in the early part of the century, uh, turn of the century, 1900s, where uh, glasses were not worn. And he had these very thick glasses. He was considered very bookish, very nerdy. He finally uh, learned how to interact with people, which was very one-to-one. He was not good at public speaking. He was not good at big groups. And in fact, he ended up running for president of the United States. And this little Harry is actually Harry S. Truman. And if you, most people don't know the story of Harry S. Truman, which is why I share it in chapter one, which is Harry Truman worked in government and was not your typical presidential candidate not an extrovert, not a good public speaker, which is a challenge if you want to be president of the United States, right? (laughs) So what he did is he went to the convention, the Democratic convention, I believe it was 1944. Um, While all the candidates were on stage giving speeches from stage, he knew he would not be able to do that well. So the convention center was not air conditioned. It was 1944. However, there was one room, Salon H, behind the convention center that was air conditioned. It was cool. And so one by one, he brought in all the influencers, all the delegates into that room and pitched them one to one. And in the first vote, he lost by over a thousand votes. But all day he campaigned one to one. By the end of the day, he won the vote. So this is an example of he didn't try to take the stage. He didn't make speech after speech. He leveraged his social strengths by not faking it till he make it because he knew that he couldn't compete with the other booming personalities. I believe it was Henry Wallace who he was comparing against. And we don't know that name because he didn't win. Moving on to the most, the current president of the United States. Ah, um, my favorite topics. We're not supposed to fake it till we make it. Mm. Authenticity is important. Donald Trump seems to be able to fool people. He's he's not very authentic, or he he changes his mind a lot. How? Mm. how but he has won a lot of people mm. over. How does that work? So he is the perfect example of very attention-grabbing body language. So um, I write about body language, the presidential candidates. It was a very busy year for me this last year. <laughs> um, and what you'll notice is while Donald Trump is not uh, the quintessential example of good body language, he is an example of attention-seeking body language. So um, we did a, uh, a study for CNN where we analyzed the last 20 inaugural addresses, U.S. presidential inaugural addresses, um, starting with 1949. Uh, that was the oldest video we could find. I, Harry S. Truman, do solemnly swear. And it happened to be Harry S. Truman's inaugural address. President of the United States, that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of your analyzed all the videos, 20 U.S. presidential speeches. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, of all the last 20 presidents, used the most hand gestures in his inaugural address. In fact, he used 641 hand gestures in 17 minutes. Together, we will make America strong again. That is insane. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. So what's interesting about using, that he used 641 hand gestures is think about the eye follows objects in motion. So every time that he is speaking and he's constantly using his hands, you're, you want to pay attention to every single gesture because your eye keeps following the hand gesture. He did the exact same thing during the presidential debates. I don't know if you watched presidential debates, but during a couple of them, there was side screens. You had Hillary Clinton on one side and you had Donald Trump on the other. Yeah, and there was one very odd one where he 
Yeah, and now I realise he completely grabbed the attention. Yes. Because... This is what was happening. So I, I live tweeted during those debates and I was just like, I was screaming you know, during these debates because every time, first of all, Donald Trump used a lot of hand gestures, a lot more than Hillary Clinton did. But every time that Hillary Clinton got on a roll, on some kind of verbal roll, he made a hand gesture while she was speaking. Because what happened is, is your brain was distracted. It looked at that split screen and you lost the train of thought. So what was he doing? He was grabbing the mic. Do you remember how he would grab the mic and mm-hmm. shake it for no reason? Well, the reason was because he knew, I think, that it was a kind of hand gesture. It was grabbing attention. He grabbed the podium. He'd grip the podium, which made you look, oh, he's grabbing the podium. He would shake or wave his hand. Every time he did that, it took the attention away. And so I think that what we're talking about here is forget even the words, the, the arguments. He is very, very good at commanding attention with his nonverbal. Whether he knows that or it's natural, he's had many years on television. He's watched himself on screen a lot. I think that really benefited him in getting votes. Oh, hey, it's still Catch here, filling in for your usual unregulated host, Emma. If you're captivated by today's show, why not give us a shout out by rating and reviewing us in Apple Podcasts? The science of succeeding with people may well be with authenticity, but the science of succeeding in podcasts, Apple Podcasts and iTunes reviews. Thanks. Producer Jamie here with another quick message. This week's podcast is also brought to you by another in a growing network of podcast suggestions from us. This week, go have a listen to work we do after you're done with us. Host Victoria Stoyanova interviews people redefining the meaning and purpose of work, whether they're entrepreneurs, scientists, designers, chefs, curators, architects, and even educators. They design their life and work in fascinating ways. One story I personally loved was about the nomad chef who's designed a spoon that makes you enjoy food as if you were eating it with your fingers. Like Joey from Friends with his peanut butter fingers. That's right up my street. Find out about the Goot Spoon with chef turned experienced designer Charles Michel in the Work We Do podcast. It's second in the feed and you can get it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and obviously anywhere else that pods exist. Now, back to Captivate, which even cites the great and wonderful Lady Gaga. Okay, sis. Stephanie Gaga hybrid person. Why are you unhappy? Why is it that you want to quit music a couple years ago? I was like, well, I really don't like selling these, you know, uh, fragrances, perfumes. I don't like uh, wasting my time spending days just shaking people's hands and smiling and taking selfies. It feels shallow to my existence. I have a lot more to offer than my image. I don't like being used to make people money. I uh, feel sad when uh, I'm overworked and that I've just become a money-making machine and that my passion and my creativity take a back seat. That makes me unhappy. So we've so what just do they heard do? Lady Gaga say no. talking about the power of saying no. I don't want to do that. No. I'm not taking Isn't that the picture. Key to I'm not going to that event. I'm not standing yes by that because that's not what I stand so I actually for. Have part slowly of that quote but surely, in the book, I remembered who uh, I am. By Lady Gaga. And then you go the home and you go to the mirror and you're like, the worst yes. piece of advice I was ever given was say yes to you? everything. 
every night. Especially as an entrepreneur. That person, especially as someone starting person. in their career. That person has balls. Career, that's that person told. has say integrity. Never that person has an opinion. That person does, doesn't say but yes. Thing that is, person doesn't well, get a text from somebody and say, let in the door. oh my God, they wrote this so and um, they sent this emoji. No Should I write this back? What do you think? Is that okay to say? You have more energy Are they going to like me if I say that? Should I say something different? This is the age that we live in. We're not actually communicating with each other. We are and that's the hard part here. If you're at a networking event and you're trying to force yourself to get along with someone throughout the day, and they're not, and I say, person, do I really want to do this? You're not going to actually add it to the network. No, you're not probably going to sell them and you anything. Either. You don't want to be at their company because they're not your tribe. They're not your people. And so I would rather you be able to, just like that Lady Gaga quote said, is figure out. How do you recognize your people and how can you do that more quickly? And it's okay to have a polite no, because remember that gives you energy to say yes to the right ones. If there was one piece of advice you could give someone, you know, I want to make someone like me, what should I do? Give them an opportunity to impress you. So a lot of the times when we think about impressing others, we think about how can we be the funniest person in the room, the smartest person in the room? How can we tell a really witty story? Those are all fine. But actually, what makes you more memorable is giving someone else an opportunity to be impressive. So give them questions, tee them up to answer something that they haven't been able to answer before. Ask them questions they haven't usually been asked before. Um, celebrate with them if they're sharing a celebration or excitement. The more that you do that, the more likely it is that they also will give you an opportunity to be impressive and you become more memorable because you've helped them have a moment of celebration. Great. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Short and sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with us for one final tip from Captivate. But right now, it's credits time. With thanks to Vanessa Van Edwards, her book Captivate is out now. Also to Emma Hazlitt for letting me take over the reins. Plus podcast producer Jamie Wareham. This has been City AM's Unregulated Podcast. Subscribe in all the places podcasts live. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, if you enjoyed the show. I would love it if I got more reviews in the week Emma was away. Challenge accepted, I hear you scream. Good. You can, of course, email advertising at audioboom.com with guest suggestions or to find out how to get us talking about your brand to our ABC One millennial audience too. Here's my favourite tip from Captivate. The best place to stand at a networking event? Near the bar. Social science is awesome. City AM Unregulated is an Audio Boom production.